0: Easter leaves me speechless. The Tulsa World sent Hope Church an email inviting us to include our Easter service in the Tulsa World's religion section, their notice of Easter services, and I was tempted to write back an ad that would say, join us at 11 o'clock at Hope Church. We're not sure what happened. Easter leaves me speechless. Historically, Unitarian and Universalist Easter worship was like many of the anti-Baptist Protestant groups of its day, a joyous celebration of the resurrection. The stone had been rolled away. The tomb is empty. Death can no longer claim us. Jesus Christ has risen again. Alleluia. Easter leaves me speechless. This Easter memory stretches back 2,000 years to the death of a rebel. A rebel against the Roman Empire. The death of Jesus was a political killing. And regrettably, political killings continue today. Whether it is someone with the wrong color skin, or the wrong religious group, or the wrong gender, or the wrong poverty and powerlessness. Easter leaves me speechless. I don't know what to think. It's confusing. It's a smash-up of death and rebirth and pagan and Christian sensibilities. Easter bunny, Easter eggs, pagan goddess Oestra. It's confusing. But then the days immediately following any death are like that it doesn't matter if it is the loss of a charismatic leader or the loss of a loved one the world is no longer the same that gaping tear in the fabric of our lives leaves an aching hole an emptiness that feels physical an emptiness that follows us around So we turn to each other, speechless. Our eyes, our tears, our primal wails, our lost expressions speak clearer than words. We seek comfort in the familiar, and we trust that ritual will carry us over the vast canyon cut through our normal lives. So with your experiences of your own loss death of those around you in mind, try to imagine what the small, yet completely devoted group of Jewish followers of Jesus must have felt when the vibrant spark of their political and religious revolution was abruptly extinguished. Anger, darkness, emptiness, confusion, speechless. Ashamed, their spiritual leader was killed like a common thief. No doubt, they went over and over in their minds all the events leading up to the crucifixion, how he died and what happened afterwards. They may have been looking for anything, something they could have done differently. Could they have prevented that mock trial and crucifixion somehow? Eventually, they told each other what they knew and heard, just as we review and retell vivid details of any death that matters to us. So in the case of the crucifixion, the memorials and details were passed on orally from person to person. This is what I heard. I saw them take him down. My aunt went to the tomb the next morning we know from biblical scholars and historians the Gospel of Mark is likely the earliest transcription of those oral traditions. And unlike the later three, the Gospel Mark ends very abruptly. We, hear, we heard its ending today. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. In other words, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome were speechless. We're not sure what happened. Only in the other three Gospels written years later did the Jesus community fill in more of those details, some political and some fantastical, like the story of Jesus appearing before the Apostle Thomas, who needs proof. He asks for physical evidence that the man before him is the same one who was crucified, dead, and buried. As the story goes, the risen Jesus shows this doubting Thomas, his pierced hands and wounded side. And this apparition of Jesus sounds miraculous. Yet, when held alongside extensive modern accounts by widows and widowers and by parents who've lost a child. You know, the Gospels don't seem hysterical or supernatural. The stories of the resurrection can sound like an honest account of how a grieving mind works. I caught glimpses of Jessica around the house from time to time. I feel Michael's presence. I know he's dead, but I sense he's with me. I dreamed about Denisha. It was so real. Common hallucinations of loss and visions of grief. Maybe our brains coping with mourning like an optical illusion where we make out a complete familiar shape where nothing is there. The negative space becoming something, two profile silhouettes become a vase. In grief, it's as if our perceptions have yet to catch up with the knowledge of our beloved's death. Our biological and psychological mechanisms are subtly interwoven. We fill in emotional and physical gaps, just as the early Christians surely did. Only theirs got codified and transcribed into formal sacred texts. Circling around emptiness, around nothingness to give it shape and better understand it has a name in theology apathetic. Apathetic. It's a highbrow, scholarly, academic way of saying speechless. In the face of the indescribable, such as what remains after death, such as the forces of the cosmos or the workings of God, this negative theology is an effort to describe the divine by what it is not, rather than presuming to explain what it is. These eternal and cosmic matters are larger than human understanding. Humility is at the core of any apophatic descriptions because we can never truly define the source of life in words accurately. It can be easier to describe Hope Church in apophatic terms. We do it all the time. We're not orthodox. We're not gathered around a creed. We're not here because of a simple belief statement. So, our church serves as an outline, a container, filled with more abstract spiritual values of service and love and peace. Our memorial tree is a physical reminder of the memorials of the memories we hold dear, something we can't quite hold on to. And many of you, I do it too, use a similar negative set of descriptions to describe yourself. You're not Christian. You're not humanist, you're not atheist, you're not Jewish. You're not someone who believes in supernatural tales. Your descriptions are in this apophatic tradition, pretty noble. The Hindi have a long tradition of apophatic arguments. They host these ritualized debates of riddles between priests. And it's a contest to describe the whole of reality, the essence of existence, the power holding the cosmos together. I would love to witness one of these contests. It's called Brahmoja, and this ritual competition always ends in silence as the the contestants are reduced to speechless awe. After all their words, after all their arguments, they stand in empty silence. The priests and believers together understand all is connected while beyond human understanding. No words can fully describe it. So here we gather on Easter morning to face riddles beyond our human understanding. This source of life insists upon returning each year out from the dead of winter. The source of life keeps us alive, despite the painful, barren space left by others who've died before us. The source of life is something we cannot see or taste or grab onto, yet it always remains, holding the cosmos together and enabling it to continue growing and developing. Easter leaves me speechless. Death leaves me speechless. Yet, when I sit in silence long enough, in darkness long enough, in pain long enough, the frightening empty space begins to appear not empty. It contains memories. It contains love. It's filled with the connections between us. And they remain often stronger than before. So Easter is not about physical resurrection, but about all that lives beyond death. Instead of jettisoning, jettisoning religious doctrine at Easter... We have to look for its spiritual kernel. Because a religious teaching is never simply a state of objective fact. It's a program for action. Easter is a clear call to carry on. Trusting life continues. It's it's a clear call to fight against the brutality of any current version of the crucifying empire. Any political systems Today, that deadened spirits are literally kill those in the way. And it's a call to value the love and connections that remain alive, as alive as ever after death. More so, Easter is a time to speak, shout, and sing into the empty spaces. I could say they are beautiful, those stars hemming the blue veil of morning. I could say it gives me pleasure, that bronze and perfect Passover moon. Or I could say they make me glad, those laughing daffodils along our road. Or I could just as well say they are lit from within, divine, overflowing with some longed call, revelation or even the growing vision of God. But today on Easter, I don't care which words I use to express my wonder. I'm just glad to be alive, blessed with such marvels. I could say that the earth hanging in space is an accident of the universe that just happened. Or I could say it is one more miracle in a cosmos full of miracles, one overflowing with divinity. But today, on Easter, for all my education and life experience, I cannot tell which word is which. Accident? Miracle? They both seem to see each other's face in the mirror of my heart. And so I rise in gladness again and sing the marvel that everything is. When some argue for heaven and others argue for earth for the life of me, I cannot comprehend the seriousness of the debate. After all, the heaven I see daily overhead never argues with me. It just tumbles clouds through my eyes and yours and paints the horizon pink and orange come evening or come morning. And the earth I walk on never argues with me either. It mostly just explodes with buds and petals like some out-of-control fountain. Heaven and earth remain silent even when people malign the ancient exclamation, oh God, by fusing with violence and entitlement. But now on this Easter day, everything grows beyond words, beyond earth and heaven into a necessary vision of harmony and peace for all, peace for all humankind who rise into life that is alive. Amen. Alleluia. May it be so.